So inside your bulletin is a worksheet. It's a fill-in-the-blank worksheet that'll help you follow along with the sermon. And if you're going to go be a part of the group discussions, which we'll have in the fellowship hall after uh, the worship service, this would be a helpful thing to bring uh, just as we talk and discuss more about Buddhism. Uh, if you don't have a pen or pencil, I still haven't solved that. <laughs> so, so just take a mental note and we'll talk about it more. Uh, so we're continuing with our series uh, on world religions called Being Christian in a Multi-Faith World. We're looking at different religions. What, what are they about? What do they believe? And, and can learning about these other religions help deepen our own faith as Christians and what we believe? Now, uh, we all tend to make assumptions about things. Um, we, we assume things based on our own understanding of, of what we see and how things should be, uh, kind of like what this guy does. He says, a conversation I just had. Me, two Thin Mints, please, Girl Scout. That'll be $10. Or you can buy four boxes for 20 Me, gentle. Um, that's not a savings. Girl Scout, not gentle. No one said it was. <laughs> Me, four boxes would be great. <laughs> A lot of times we make assumptions of, of what we think something's supposed to be just based on our own understanding. And we do this with other religions and how other people believe and how other people see the world. We see the world in one way, so we just we make assumptions. And part of what we're doing in this series is clearing up some of those assumptions and saying, hey, this is, this is what some of this faith believes and some of this religion believes. Um, and so today we're looking at Buddhism. And Buddhism comes out of the Hindu culture, so there's going to be some terminology and some understanding that we've talked about once before that will be familiar, kind of like how Christianity comes out of Judaism. There are some, some connections there. Uh, and so what the kind of, I guess, caveat I want to give to this is that uh, just like Christianity, how we have many different branches and many different beliefs and many different ways of, of seeing our faith and scripture, the same is true with Buddhism that there are so many different beliefs and branches and understandings and ways of understanding that everything I say today, though it's kind of the foundational core tenets of Buddhism, um, there are probably Buddhists out there who would, who would see things in a different way just because there are so many different branches. Same as Christianity. And so um, let's jump in to talk a little bit about Buddhism. Buddhism uh, really began with a man named Siddhartha Gautama. And he was born in 563 B.C. in a part of India that is now modern-day Nepal. So you see Nepal here, um, kind of north of India, as it currently is. And Siddhartha's father was uh, the ruler of a small tribe. And when Siddhartha was born, his, his mother died just shortly after. And to protect him and care for all this suffering, uh, his father just lavished him and tried to protect, protect him from any harm that would ever happen. Anything bad that would happen, he, he protected him and cared for him so that he just never experienced anything like that. And around the age of 16, uh, he got married and had a child, which was normal about that time. Uh, some scriptures say 19, but generally uh, Buddhists accept 16. And at the age of 29, he just kept feeling discontent with life. So he left the palace and this is supposedly the first time he leaves the palace and he goes out into the city. And as he's going out, he sees a man who's old and he can't move that well. And his body's starting to fail him. And Siddhartha said to his chariot driver, is this what happens to everybody? And the chariot driver says, yeah, everyone gets old. And everyone goes through these struggles. And it really bugged Siddhartha as he went back to the palace. For days and days, he wrestled with this. So he leaves the palace again and he goes out and he sees someone who's sick just terribly, terribly sick, so close to death. And he says to a chariot, his chariot driver, 
Is this what happens to everybody? He goes, yeah, everyone gets sick. But Siddhartha's father had always taken anyone who was sick away. So he never saw that. He never understood that. He didn't know that. And it bugged him, and it just ate away at him and for days and days and days. And then he goes back out into the city again, and he sees a funeral procession, and there in the procession is a body. And he says, is this what happens to everybody? And the chariot driver says, yes, everybody dies. And it just destroyed him. And he goes back to the palace, and all he thinks about is all this stuff that's wrong with the world and all this suffering that happens in the world uh, to the point that he decides he can't be in the palace anymore. His father tries to lavish him with even more stuff and to make him even happier and let him forget all that, but he can't. So at the age of 29, he leaves in the middle of the night to go and find how, how can we overcome suffering in life. And since he grew up in a life of luxury, he takes the opposite extreme of just an ascetic extreme life where you almost starve yourself to death, where you sit on beds of thorns, where you wander around aimlessly. And he found no peace in that way of life with uh, four other monks who he traveled with. And so he broke off and he ends up meditating under a tree. And in this meditation, we can't go into the whole thing, but it's a really great story if you want to read. Um, it's under this tree where he's meditating that he comes to just find this peace and find this path and truth about how to be free from suffering. And that's when he becomes the Buddha. He becomes enlightened, and for the next 45 years, he spends, time, spends his life teaching his disciples about this path and this way of life. And so Buddha means enlightened one or awakened one. Uh, Buddha isn't God, and Buddhists, um, Buddhists don't necessarily say there is a God. They don't necessarily say there isn't a God. They're much more concerned with the ultimate nature of reality. And so uh, a Buddha is simply a fully enlightened person who can teach others the way out of suffering, this way of freedom and, and liberation. And so this is um, Buddha, and his story is written down in what's called the Pali Canon. And so the Pali Canon is the Buddhist scripture. And uh, you can read about the life of Buddha and his teachings in that. Not all branches of Buddhism use, um, there are a bunch of different texts. Not all of them use all those texts. All of them use the Pali Canon. So kind of like how... Um, we as Christians, as, as uh, Protestants, there are parts of the Bible we don't use that our Catholic brothers and sisters use. Or their Ethiopian Christians have additional parts in the New Testament that we don't use. So there are branches of Christianity that use different scripture too. Same, same concept, but we all have a foundational piece. Same in Buddhism. And so um, just to kind of give you a little better insight, I want to give you a timeline of how, this, how Buddhism fits into the history of our religion and Hinduism. So um, back on the far left, you see Abraham around 2000 BCE, before the Common Era. Hinduism, uh, we talked about that, that group that being like 3500 BCE, so even older. And then you've got Moses around the time of 1200 BCE. David's rule is around 1000, and that's when the Hindu Vedas, the Hindu scriptures are written. Um, and then you see the temple is destroyed and the Jewish people go into exile in 586 BCE. And around that time is when Buddha is born, 563. Um, then we have a lot of the Jewish Bible is being written and edited. It won't be compiled for, until centuries later fully. Um, but during that time, 
is when uh, Buddha dies. So Buddha lives between that time period of the exile and um, Old Testament scripture being written. And then you see Jesus is born in about 4 BCE and crucified in 29. And between that time of 4 BCE and 29 CE is when um, the Pali Canon, the Buddhist scripture is written. And the story of Buddha is written down and his teachings are written down. So that just gives you a little bit of the timeline and the, the time frame for where all this is happening and how this is taking place. Now, uh, back in 2018, when I first got here um, at First United Methodist Church, you might remember there, there was a shooting at a Jewish synagogue in Pittsburgh. And um, our response to that was to reach out to our local Jewish synagogue in Hickory with Rabbi Dennis Jones, who many of you know, he's a teacher at the high school at the time, and to say, hey, we love you, we support you, we're, we're with you, and uh, some of us went to the synagogue that, that weekend and spent some time there, and as I got to know Rabbi Jones, he invited me to be a part of this group um, that's an interfaith group. It's called the Catawba Valley um, Alliance Council, and so um, this group is made up of many different religions. They're saying, hey, how do we how do we pay attention to the struggles that we have between our faiths and how do we highlight the, the stuff we're on the same page about, uh, love and care and compassion? And so we've been doing some stuff together over, over the last few years and in that group, I got to meet a Buddhist uh, named John Essie. And John's been Buddhist uh, pretty much his entire life. Um, and when I told him about this series and I asked him, hey, would you be willing to share a little bit about the heart of Buddhism and, and the goal of Buddhism? He said, oh, I'd love to. And so he did a, a short video for us, and we'll hear more from him uh, in the group discussion afterwards. But I want you to hear what he has to say. So take a look. The whole purpose, really, is to address the problem of suffering, human suffering, actually suffering of all sentient beings. If we're young, we're healthy, we've got, you know, resources, people around us care about us, etc. At some point, because of the principle and the truth of impermanence, things will change. And for us human beings, if we live long enough, they change in a direction that involves uh, old age, illness, and ultimately death. So these things uh, are a problem. And, and the, the Buddha was trying, the historical Buddha, who was an actual person, uh, was trying to solve this problem through this um, kind of notion that the, the fundamental issue with suffering is the, is the idea of craving, the idea that we seek to hang on to uh, things that, that we like. And of course, we want to push away the things that we don't like. And actually, these are referred to, uh, in some sense, in Buddhism as poisons. There are three poisons, the, the poison of craving or pulling things to us, that of anger or hatred or aversion, pushing things away. And then the third is ignorance in the sense that we don't really understand the true nature of reality. That there is an answer to the problem of suffering, and it's through the Eightfold Path, which is a, a path that involves uh, various kinds of uh, um, moral uh, activities and uh, uh, activities that can facilitate wisdom and a greater understanding of the true nature of reality. So I want to unpack uh, what John talked about, this idea of uh, what Buddhism is all about. And uh, it, it's characterized in what the Buddhists call the Four Noble Truths. And so you see that in your, in your handout, the Four Noble Truths. So this is what Buddha realized in his meditation when he became enlightened. And so the first truth is that life is characterized by suffering. So um, everyone, all of us in life will suffer. And um, 
I know that's tough and that's morbid to even say, but this is, Buddha said, this is the first truth we have to realize. We're going to struggle, we're going to suffer, and not just in the ways that John talked about of getting old and dying. Yes, that's part of it, absolutely. But the word suffering in Buddhism, in the Buddhist language, isn't just about that. It's also anytime we feel, um, anytime we struggle, anytime we go through stress, uh, dissatisfaction itself, right? Life can be so dissatisfying in so many ways, and that's tied up in this word of suffering. Buddha said, no one can avoid that. It's just part of how life is. And so that's the first noble truth. The second noble truth is that our suffering is caused by attachments. We become attached to things, right? We want this thing to be a certain way and it doesn't pan out that way and so we suffer because of that, right? We, we want this kind of food and we, we can't get it. We're not allowed to have it. Mom and dad say no, so then we suffer, right? We're, we're miserable about it. We want our bodies to be able to do this kind of thing, but it can't because we're older now and we twist our ankle when we try and jump a creek, right? Or <laughs> whatever it might be, yeah. So we suffer because of that, because we're attached, we desire, we crave those kinds of things. Uh, and it's not that those, that's bad, it's just it causes struggle and pain and dissatisfaction in life for us. And so the third noble truth is that we can eliminate our attachments. That if suffering is caused by being attached to something, all you have to do is detach from it, non-attachment, and you can eliminate that suffering. Now, um, in Buddhism, the reason we're reincarnated, Buddhism believes in reincarnation, it came out of Hinduism. The reason we're, we're reincarnated is because we don't eliminate our attachment. We want to be, we, we crave this thing, that thing, whatever it might be. And so when we die, that our energy clings to that thing that we're clinging to, right? And we kind of, we get reincarnated. And so it becomes a cycle that we live into. And, and that's what we're trying to get free from. And the Buddha said that freedom comes, there's a way to freedom, which is the fourth noble truth, is the noble eightfold path. And so the word you're looking for is path. The noble eightfold path is the way to freedom. And you have this eightfold path. I just put it in your, your handout. This is what it is. It's right views, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And so by practicing this path, uh, you can be freed from suffering. You can be freed from this um, struggle to attachment and reach nirvana if you follow it faithfully and diligently. And nirvana in Buddhism, is, uh, it means extinction or, or transcendence, absolute transcendence. And so the, the word extinction is like the blowing out of a candle. It's not that you just disappear, but it's that our energy all becomes united and connected together in a way that's beyond concept or description. So, um, nirvana is achieved when you no longer have those cravings, because when you have those cravings, you come back and are reincarnated over and over and over again. And uh, how you become, we call that the cycle of samsara, same as Hinduism, right? That you're reborn over and over and over again, back into suffering, back into dissatisfaction. The goal is to escape it. And so that's the cycle of rebirth. And um, you're reborn into different sentient beings based on your karma. Karma is your action. And so how you live, how you think, um, and there are different, different models for what you might be reborn as. Uh, but humans have the, the best opportunity to reach enlightenment, is what Buddhists generally believe. And so uh, the whole goal of Buddhism is to end all suffering. That's the goal. 
end all suffering. And Buddhists believe that uh, the world will not end until all things are liberated from this cycle of samsara, from this cycle of suffering, which I think is really kind of a beautiful thing that, oh, oh the goal for all of creation is to be liberated from suffering. I thought, man, that, okay, that kind of connects with me in, in Christianity. Right? I think that's such an important step in what we're called to do. And I know that's, that's a lot of information. That's kind of like the brief... <laughs> The brief part of Buddhism, right? And so when, when we hear that kind of information, we learn about it, immediately we say, okay, there's some things in, in Christianity that I could see connecting in Buddhism. And there are some things that I don't see connecting. Like um, we don't believe that our enlightenment or nirvana, or the word we use is salvation, right? We don't believe that is entirely up to ourselves, that we have to do all that work. We believe God is working too. Right? God is showing up and acting in our lives and working on our behalf and behalf of the world. But we also agree and believe that we have a responsibility in that. We have a responsibility for how we live and how we act, and that helps shape things. And how we live matters, spiritually and physically and all these elements. We don't believe in reincarnation or that our attachments to desires and things and things we want in life, that those cause us to stay in this cycle. But we do believe that attachments are a pretty big cause of our suffering in the world. Right? That, that what we want and how we see the world and what we crave, that those things cause problems for us. We agree with that. It leads to anger. It leads to fear. It leads to worry. It leads to bitterness. It leads to hate. So often, these are our attachments that do those things. And Jesus did a lot of teaching. I think a lot of Jesus' teachings were about attachments, Teaching about fear, teaching about worry, teaching about hate, teaching about love, right? All these things are, can you become non-attached from these things that drive us so often? So a traditional term that we Christians use for attachment, I think, is the word temptation. That, that Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil. And he's tempted three times and those kinds of temptations represent status, wealth, and power. Things we're tempted by things we're attached to and crave and want. And Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he dies, praying, I don't want to do this. Not my will, but your will be done. Right? Again, practicing detachment. This isn't what I want. So can I give this up and lessen my suffering, give myself up to God's will, something beyond myself? I think there's something there for us as Christians in how we pay attention to our attachments. It takes a lot of practice to do that. And what the Buddha taught is that a lot of that is caught up in our minds. He called our minds the monkey minds. They're, they're everywhere, like a monkey, right? We're often thinking about the past or, or we're thinking about the future. And we're worried about the past and we're worried about the future and we're never really in the present. And so... Uh, one of the sayings I really love is that our, our mind is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. That when our mind controls us, we're driven by fear, we're driven by anxiety, we're driven by worry, we're driven by hate, we're driven by the future, we're driven by the past, and we're never in the present. And so we miss so much of life, and we miss that peace. That peace is actually being present in the present moment, which is so much of the teaching of Buddhism, so much of the teaching of Jesus and our own faith. Right, Jesus has this uh, whole section in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, look at the, the birds of the air and look at the lilies of the field. They don't worry about life. And he says, why do, why do any of you worry about life? Can you add a single hour to your life by your worry? 
No. This Jesus teaching, hey, pay attention to your mind. Pay attention to what's controlling you. Pay attention to how this is working. Now, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says it in his letter to the Philippians. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. That, that our minds, yeah, our minds, we have to be paying attention to that. How, how are they controlling us? Where are they leading us? Uh, meditation is what we think of when we think of Buddhists, right? Buddhists meditate. And, and prayer is also a form of meditation. So they all, it's all under the same umbrella. When we pray, we typically use words and we focus our thoughts and our intentions somewhere, which is the same as what happens when you meditate. You're focusing your intentions somewhere. And it does the same thing in our brains and our minds. And even in Christianity, uh, you know, we have deep roots of meditation in Christianity. At one point, I don't know if meditation's taboo. It used to be. The word used to be kind of taboo. But from the beginning, Christians have always meditated. And the word we use now is centering prayer. But it's just simply sitting quietly, being silent in God's presence. Uh, which is a really hard thing to do. <laughs> right? But it's this, can I be present in the moment? It's part of taming our minds. So when I talked to Rachel Pang, who's used to be, I don't know if she still is, four or five years ago, she was a professor of Buddhism at Davidson College uh, when I was studying Buddhism. And I said, hey, tell me, tell me about what Buddhism is about. Just sum it up for me so I could sum it up with some of my Christian friends. And she said, it's about doing good things, doing no harm, and taming the mind because our mind gets in our way so often. Right? It's a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And if we could pay attention to that, it would help with a lot of our suffering. Of course, in Christianity, we don't necessarily believe all suffering. The goal is to not have any suffering because look at Jesus' life. Look at the life we're called to. But can you do it in a way that is uh, loving and caring and in a way that is like Jesus with the heart of Christ? So um, one of the reasons I think this is so, so important is because whatever we're carrying around in us, in our minds and in our hearts, it, it just leaks out of us, you know? Like if it's a hatred, if it's bitterness, if it's anger, if it's fear, if it's worry, Everyone around us feels that. And if we're, what we're carrying around in us is peace and love and compassion and care, that leaks out of us too, and everyone feels that as well. And so the, the ability and the opportunity to be peace in the world, oh, man. The, the thing I think Buddhism has so right that we could learn from is that they say, what... It's got to start with you. It's got to start with your heart, your own practice, your own mind, uh, how you live in the world. And if you want to help eliminate suffering, which is part of our call, right? How you live matters. That you do that by how you just walk in the world and what leaks out of you. And a lot of the, the working with our minds is about not unconsciously 
letting this stuff come out of us in ways that cause more suffering in the world. That's why we pray. That's why we worship. That's why we read scripture. That's why we're trusting God to transform us into more and more loving people so that we can be a part of that solution. Uh, So let me wrap up with this. Thich Nhat Hanh, um, he was a Buddhist monk uh, from Vietnam. He passed away last year, or excuse me, last month at the age of 95. And um, he was really, really influential in the world and and in Christianity. So he grew up in Vietnam, and he entered the Buddhist monastery in the 1940s at the age of 16, and he just had this, um, I, don't, I don't know if the word disgust is right, but he had been harmed so much by Christianity that he, he didn't see any good in it at all or in the teachings of Jesus. Vietnam was um, colonized by the French, specifically by Christian missionaries who came over, and then the French took, took over power, and um, when... Tay, Thich Nhat Hanh is often called Tay. So when Tay was in the monastery, um, there was a very influential Christian leader whose brother was a president of Vietnam. And this Christian leader convinced his brother uh, their whole goal always was to just stomp out Buddhism, get rid of Buddhism. Um, and so he convinced his brother to pass a law that would not allow Buddhists to celebrate their most important holiday. And when that happened, tens of thousands of Buddhists came out in protest, came out and demonstrated, and they overthrew the whole regime. And Tay said, you know, I couldn't see any good in Christianity from what he had done to my people and my country and, and my way of life. And then shortly after that, the Vietnam War began. And he struggled with this because here anti-communists and communists fighting each other and killing each other over what they believe to be the truth. And then here are Buddhists and here are Christians fighting each other as well over what they believe is the truth. And he said, we, we should be working together. And so uh, he wrote this really wonderful book um, later on in his life called Living Buddha, Living Christ. And in this book, he shares a story of one of his uh, uh, one of his uh, students who followed him, one of his disciples, and, and this is what he said. He said, one day an American soldier on the back of a military truck spit on the head of one of my disciples. His disciple got so upset that he wanted to join the, the military against America, to fight against America. And this is what Tay said to his disciple. Because I've been practicing meditation, I was able to see that everyone in the war was a victim that the American soldiers who had been sent to Vietnam to bomb, kill, and destroy were also being killed and maimed. I urge my disciple to remember that the GI was also a war victim, the victim of a, a wrong view and a wrong policy. I urge him to continue his work for peace as a monk. He was able to see that and became one of the most active workers in the Buddhist School of Youth for Social Service which was a, a grassroots relief organization with over 10,000 volunteers that Tay started uh, based on the Buddhist principles of nonviolence and compassion. And so after this, Tay left Vietnam in 1966 and came to the U.S. to advocate for peace in Vietnam. And he encountered people like Thomas Merton, who I don't know if you know or not, but was hugely influential, a, a Christian mystic around this time who, who wrote and had a huge impact on our country. Uh, he met people like Martin Luther King Jr. 
and these Christians he met, and people who maybe aren't well-known either. And he said, it was, it was finally I was starting to meet Christians who showed me a different view of Jesus and Christianity and what it means to be Christian in the world. And he convinced MLK, uh, he's really the one who convinced MLK to come out against the Vietnam War to say, hey, there's a problem with this. And the next year, MLK would nominate him for a Nobel Peace Prize, Thich Nhat Hanh, to say, hey, how are we promoting peace? How are we being peace? How are we working together to show compassion and love in the world? All of that matters. And because he came to America, he wasn't allowed back to Vietnam. For the next 39 years of his life, he lived in France as an exile and started a Buddhist community there. And uh, the last four years of his life in 2018, he was allowed to go back uh, because he had suffered a stroke. They let him come back and, and he was able to die there at 95. But he gave up all that to try and model peace and to try and bring together Christians and Buddhists together. That's, that was the attempt of this book, Living Buddha and Living Christ, where he, he begins by saying, Christ has become one of my mentors in life. And on my altar, I have a, an image of Buddha and I have an image of Christ. And I touch both of them when I sit down because I see the connection and how they modeled so many of the same things of peace and compassion and goodness. They look for the best in things. They look to help us overcome suffering in the world. I think, man, what, what a gift that someone would care enough from another religion to say, hey, I want, I want you to notice the best out of Christianity and then share that with his own religion. Hey, look how the best of Christianity doesn't mean we all get it right, but it, it means oh, it's so nice to have people rooting for us who don't necessarily believe the same things, but at the same time believe the heart and the core of what really matters. And so Tay's done, uh, he's the, the reason we know this word mindfulness, right? You've heard the mindfulness kind of term that's been coined. He's the one that really kind of taught a lot of that. And... Um, I learned meditation first from Buddhists before I did Christians. And, and Tay has this practice that I want us to end with, uh, which isn't really his, it, it's Buddhist. And um, because he believes so strongly in us being peace in the world and modeling peace in the world, and when we talk about praying, you know, I think prayer is so important, but then I also realized how little I'd been taught how to pray in my life and what prayer was and how it connected. And when I read the Bible, there's no instruction manual for what prayer looks like or how to do it or different methods. And so I've just learned that over the years by asking questions and talking to people and looking into different traditions and then finding the connections between Christianity and these other traditions. And so um, this is what, this is the practice of, of mindfulness that Tay shares that I just want to give to you as a gift because it's been a gift to me. And this is how it goes. Uh, breathing in, you say, I'm aware of my whole body and the tension in my body. And then breathing out, you say, I release the tension within my body. And what he says is uh, you practice that over and over and over again so that you become aware of that stuff so it doesn't leak out of you and you're at peace. And you share that in other ways. He wrote books for teachers. <laughs> this is how you do it so you teach well with your kids. For parents, 
He's invested so much time in this because he believes we can be peace. He believes what Jesus believes, that the spirit in us is leading us and guiding us and helping us in these ways. And so I'm gonna invite us to do, do his practice together. Um, and so we're gonna do breathing in through the nose and be thinking or saying to yourself, I'm aware of my whole body and the tension in my body. And breathing out as we release, I'm, I'm release the tension within my body, okay? All right, here we go. So breathing in and out. And let's do that one more time. Breathing in and breathing out. And one more. Breathing in and breathing out. And let's pray. God, we give you thanks for friends, for guidance, for wisdom, for peace, for an opportunity to pray, for where peace comes to our minds and to our hearts, where we can live in ways that um, impact us in healthy, whole ways that eliminate suffering in our lives and in the world around us. And so teach us to be peace. Teach us to, to live in ways that model this well. And help us to practice the simplicity of mindfulness and love. Through Christ we pray. Amen.